Before we get into the show and introduce today's guest, I would just like to thank United Medical Credit for being sponsors of this podcast and of the Business of Dentistry. As a matter of fact, they have a special offer for Business of Dentistry members, 0% merchant fees for the rest of the year, and 30% discount for life after that. You can get that special deal by either going to DocOffInvestments.com and clicking on the deal section, or by going directly to www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD. Thanks again, UMC. Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Huffpower coming to you from my studio here in Alvin, Texas. This morning I have a really, really great interview planned. That is Mr. Eric Miller. Now, Eric is actually a chief financial advisor and owner at Econologics. He is my personal financial advisor and financial planner. And um, he's helped me to achieve a modicum of success. I'm pretty happy with where we are right now. I mean, at, at the age we're, we're at right now, I'm, I, I'm excited about that. So, Eric, first of all, thank you for everything that you've done for us and uh, helping my wife and I to get to the point in life where we are. And, and for helping us to achieve a lot of our financial freedom goals. So first things first, things first hats off to you. My pleasure, but I will say that it takes two to tango. And, you know, I have to congratulate the both of you because you're really, you're really good at, at owning things and have that ownership mentality. And, you know, you're, you do what it takes to improve any condition, whether it's your business, your household. So, you know, I just want to give you kudos for that as well. Oh, I appreciate it, my friend. You know, this morning I wrote a post uh, in my group and it was talking about the road to success. And I said the, sim the formula for success is very, very simple. You have to first realize that you have a disease called self-doubt. And then you have to meet that disease with an actual commitment to do something about it and intentional action based upon the final goal that you want. I actually, and I know you're, I know you love this term. I know you use it. And that mm -hmm. is ideal scene. You know, when you plan out where it is you want to be in life and you work backwards from there, both professionally and personally. And, and so I did that years ago, following some really, really good advice from yourself and a couple of others. And I found that it really helped me to, to beat down that demon, the, the self-limiting beliefs that we all suffer from. So the first thing I want to ask you is, Eric, what is required to attain financial freedom? Is, is there a simple equation like, like success? Sure. Uh, two things. <clears throat> first off, you have to define what financial freedom means, because I can, I can, I can assure you we can probably ask 10 different dentists on, on or 20 or 100, and I'm going to get a hundred different answers on what that is. So, you know, some people say, well, you know, if I'm, if my school loans are paid off and I'm financially free, or, you know, I have a, a passive income to pay for my lifestyle, that means I'm financially free. So all those are good, they're parts, but I think you need a real complete definition of exactly what the ideal financial scene would look like. And I've always said it, it's really simple. It would be a condition in your household where you have an abundance of income coming in from multiple sources, where you've created a reliable income stream that can pay for your lifestyle. Your businesses are profitable, sustainable, and transferable. Your assets are protected from taxes, inflation, and lawsuits, and you have time to pursue whatever life goals that you have. That to me, pretty much encompasses what uh, a condition of financial freedom would look like. Now, the no, there's no numbers there. You know, I didn't say I didn't even say a number. It's a condition where all those things are in place. And I think if you really just look at it like that's what I would like to get just to your point, you can work backwards from there and construct whatever life that you want to, knowing that those are the parameters of what your ideal scene looks like. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Do you know what the first question I ask 
of anyone I'm doing business with is? What's that? What's your number? And if they don't have a concept of what that question means, we have to have a very long conversation before we True. engage in doing business. So let's Can dig I? down. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, there was one other thing you'd mentioned, and then what's the formula for financial success? And there's actually a triangle I created because it, it, it's super simple. I mean, I think there's three skills that anyone really needs to make sure that they, they master in order to be good with money. And the first, I, I call it the ACE triangle, okay? Number one, you have to be very good at knowing how to acquire money, all right? There's, there's trillions of dollars out there trillions of dollars out there. You just have to get good at knowing how to market, promote, sell, and deliver. That's going to allow you to acquire money. There's no lack of money in the dental industry. I think it's what an $80, $80 billion industry. I mean, there is plenty of money going towards this industry. So you got to be good at knowing how to acquire money. Second thing is you got to be very good at controlling money. So I think a lot, there's a lot of people, I'm sure you've met some that make a lot of money, but as soon as it comes in their hands, it just goes right out. It's like, it's like a dam that breaks, it just goes everywhere. Absolutely. So you have to have some causative control of I'm, I'm channeling this money into these different accounts for these different purposes. And if you know how to do that, then you're gonna have more success. And then I think the last skill, which is where a lot of people um, have difficulties is knowing how to expand money. So it's acquire money, control money, and then expand money. What does that mean? It means that I'm putting my a majority of my money in places that's going to create me more assets, income, net worth, things like that. Okay. Now, look, I mean, we all want to have fun. I mean, you like to buy stuff. I like to buy stuff, you know, and some of that stuff doesn't always appreciate in value, but I think that, you know, the majority of the money that you have, as long as it's being allocated to the things that are going to create more value, that's going to increase your net worth, that's going to create income and cash flow for you, that's that's expanding your, your money. And if you can master those three skills, I, I don't think you're going to have any problems with finances. You shouldn't. Absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you what, it, it's so funny to me. Uh, one of the things that I, I teach whenever we do consulting for other dentists is that there is no secret sauce. Success is simple in everything. It, it's, it's consistency. It's dedication to doing the thing you said you're going to do, actually coming to an agreement with yourself. And it's also intention. You have to actually plan to get where you're going to go. You know, you don't take a journey in a sailboat across the ocean without doing some serious mapping and every now and then checking your coordinates to make sure you're still on the right path. And that's exactly what that ideal scene is about, folks. It is your map to success. You know, you could hear exactly what Eric just told you if you read a little book called The Richest Man in Babylon. I mean, it was point for point exactly what was in that book. And you know what? It's worked since prehistoric times. Acquire Still money. Works. Don't spend the money you acquire. Put a specific portion of that away and make it work for you. Yeah. It, it, it's very, very simple. It's just right now, there's so much financial information that's inundated. And, you know, one thing I like to say is that, you know, not all financial information out there is, is the same for everyone. Everyone's at different levels. And you, you can't just look at the information that you see from gurus out there and just apply that to your life. You know, this is this is why we work with just, you know, practice owners and dentists, because the financial advice that they should be receiving should be totally different than someone that's just a rank and file. It's just different. And it's hard to explain until you actually see, you know, what that what that advice would look like. And, you know, it's how, how it's going to affect your life. But um, I, I think that is that's something that is unfortunately neglected in, in the industry. Everyone just kind of thinks that they just need to follow the same advice as everybody else. I absolutely could not agree more. So, hey guys, listen, we are live here for a reason. I asked Eric to come on and if you have a question, he will do his best to answer your question specifically. Please do remember that financial advice is given with some knowledge of where your financial position is. And so if you're not willing to say specific numbers, it's very unlikely that he can give you 
tailored advice, but he can give you some good general advice. So please be understanding of that. If you have questions, go ahead and drop them in the comments section below. So Eric, let's talk a little bit about your, your simple equation. Three steps, right? Yep. Acquire the money, don't spend the money, <clears throat> and, and, and make the money work for you. And so right now, these guys out there as dentists, we are members of the country club. You know, the, the eight total years or 10 total years for some of us, uh, some more if you're in a specialty, that we go to school to become a dentist. That, that is your dues to the country club. And you get to be a member for the rest of your life, barring some horrible, you know, occurrence. That is your key to step number one, acquire the money. You are in a profession that we make a good amount of money. What are you going to make it do for you though? I, I tell people all the time, dentistry won't get you rich, but it will get your foot in the door to be able to have the opportunities that will make you rich. For sure. Yeah. I mean, making an income uh, is, is not going to create is not going to get you wealthy. All right. I mean, it'll, it'll allow you to make money, but again, you know, look, I mean, money isn't wealth. Money isn't wealth. I think people have a misunderstanding of that. They think, Hey, if I just have a bunch of money, I'm wealthy. That's not the case. You know, my best uh, example is this, if we're stranded on a desert Island and we have a bazillion dollars sitting there, are, are we, are we rich? Absolutely. Not really. Cause money is just, is a, is a tool. Wealth is that you've, You've accumulated things and are doing things that are per, that are creating production. You know, that's the means of production. That's real wealth. So, you know, that's where it gets into, you know, how are you spending your money? What are you putting your money into? What are you investing your money into? And is it creating things that are going to, you know, create more wealth and income for the benefit of, of your household? And, you know, that kind of gets into, you know, whether or not you should own a business or you should stay a practitioner. You know, there's, there's an argument there, I think. But that's a really, really great discussion that I definitely want to have with you today while we have you. Uh, because, you know, one, one of the things that people look at is, you know, the cost benefit analysis of going into this, which basically everyone should be doing if you're not. So you look at it and currently uh, to get out of dental school and begin practicing, you're looking at about $500,000 worth of debt as, as a new grad. And so if I'm not mistaken, um, you, you can't write that debt off on your taxes. In fact, they charge you more if you pay it off early. So let's see here. $5,000 a month times 12 months in a year, $60,000. Assuming you're making enough to pay that debt, you're going to be making at least 150,000, which puts you in what the 23% tax bracket, something like that. And mm -hmm. so, you know, by the time you're, you're done with your Medicaid, Medicare, FICO, whatever else you've got going on, you've got to make about $150,000 a year just to break even with the extra 30% on top of that. Right. It's, it's 90,000 just to pay the bill. So if you're not making at least 150,000 and most dentists in the United States, I believe two years ago, it was $148,000 a year was the average. And this year was $168,000 wow. is the average, but with a nine X key on inflation over the past, what, six months. Yeah. Is that even keeping up? Is that even breaking even? So then you're looking at a practice and your practice is going to cost you between 500,000, 1.5 to build out. So how much money do you have to have flowing into that machine just to lubricate it and keep it running? And, and the answer is a lot. So even more than normal, now going forward with the increase in inflation and the decrease in reimbursements and the increase in your, in, 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 in your, your cost of goods sold, you've right. got to be a good business manager. You've got to be a good husband of your money. And, and I use that in the well, like sense of, of growing your money and, and, and raising it, you know, to produce. You got to be a good steward of money. That's for sure. And I, I, I like that. That's a good analogy right there. But you're, you're right. Uh, they, they didn't teach. They don't teach dentists how to be good owners and good executives in dental school. I don't think they do. I don't think that's no, part of the curriculum at all. At, at all. But yeah, that that is the the skill that's going to provide you the highest compensation in your life. Because look, even even as a practicing dentist that's you know producing one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, if you can really understand 
how to be a good owner and what that mentality is like and what your responsibilities are as being a good owner. And you can learn how to be a good executive. Your compensation is always going to be higher uh, by, by understanding those roles than the practitioner role. And that, that's a missing piece because I, you know, a lot of people just don't think about that. They're like, well, I, don't, I, I didn't learn about that. Where do I learn about that? How do I learn about that? And it's a, it's a tough skill to learn. It is. It is. And, and I'll tell you, I think another uh, another contributing factor here, uh, two things, actually, and, and some people are not going to like what I have to say about this. Um, the first one say is it. that for some reason, some reason we as a society have gotten to a point where we demonize wealth and the acquisition of wealth as being a thing that is wrong or being a thing that is evil or bad somehow. The acquisition of wealth allows you to make changes in the world and allows you to have choices for yourself, your family, your friends, and everyone around you. It's not inherently a bad thing. In fact, it's inherently a good thing. It is a huge force for positive because of the things that you can do when you do accumulate wealth. Unfortunately, many of us were either raised or convinced or beaten into submission by society to think that acquiring wealth makes us evil. And the second problem that I see is that most dentists don't own a business. They own a job. Mm. That's right. They, they look at their, their business, if they own their business, as a job and not an investment. And it is. I mean, the, if you own the business, it, it is an investment. It's, a, it's an awesome investment. And as long as you structure it correctly and you treat it like an investment, it can not only provide you practitioner compensation, but you get the benefits of uh, the profits of the business. And if you're really good at understanding how to grow your practice, even just to like a two to three to four associate uh, practice, I mean, the value of that will grow exponentially because, you know, what I'm seeing right now, and maybe you can uh, attest to this, like the, the value for for a corporate uh, office to, or a, cor yeah, a, a corporate group to buy uh, a practice, you know, I think they're paying seven, eight, nine times earnings right now. So think about that. For every dollar of profit that you grow in your business, it's worth nine times that in the overall enterprise value, you see? And, you know, that's, that's a great way to like, okay, how do I increase the value of my net worth? Why don't I just increase the value of my practice? Um, just because of uh, of how they evaluate these things now, I think in the old in, in the olden days it was like you know you can only probably get two or three times uh, your earnings, but that seems to be changing right now. If you have the right type of practice, if you have a practice that has multiple associates, it's in a good area, uh, your marketing is good, you're well known in the community, you have an online presence. All these things are are factors of you know what are these larger groups looking for. Well. I, I like to laugh and say that Eric knows all all of my laundry clean and dirty. Uh, so you you know what kind of multiples I got on my practice whenever I partnered yeah. with MV2. And Dr. V, the guy who, who is the, the primary there, uh, he said something to me one day, and man, it just stuck. He said, a lot of doctors will go in. They want to be loved by their staff. And so they're going to go to Scarbucks. They're going to spend $3 on coffee for 10 staff members. That's $30 a day times five days a week is $150 a week times 52 weeks in a year is $7,800 times nine for a multiple. That's $70,200 by not keeping your eye on the ball, by not looking at those little costs, by not being a good steward of your money and thinking about rule number two, which is keep your money. And then rule number three, mm -hmm. make it work for you you cost yourself in one fell swoop $70,000. And that is twice what the average family makes in a year in the United States. For sure. I'll even go one more on you. I think the biggest expense that most uh, dental practices have, they don't even know what that actually is. Because if I ask them, I go, what's your biggest expense that you have? I think I'll get, I'll get these answers. Number one, cost of goods sold. Number two, uh, staff wages. Is, is a big expense as well. Um, maybe the debt service. 
on on the building or the acquisition and i'm like mm, you're you're wrong on all three of those right. the biggest expense that you have is money that you should be making and you're not absolutely and that goes to the which the, is why everyone should drop insurance the, do what i did <laughs> so, some of you can't do that but if you can do it yes and i'm talking about if you everyone has a facility that has a certain size to it you have so many chairs yeah you have so many square footage and there's so many people that you can see in that facility. And if it were at maximum capacity, what could the production be of that facility? Not one in 10 people can tell me that when I ask them. So it's surprising to me. It really is. The, the best owners know. They're like, oh, yeah, if, if when we're at capacity, you know, we can do $200,000 a month or $300,000 a month. And uh, that, that's such an important number because if you're only doing, if you can do 300 and you're only doing 160, that's $140,000 of lost income right there that you should be making and you're not for whatever reason, you know, maybe I don't have enough associates, I don't have enough employees, I don't have enough patients, but at least it gives you, you know, thinking at the, as this thing as an investment, like if I get this thing to that capacity level, man, is it going to be worth a lot of money, not only to me, but to somebody else when I transition out. A, a good rule of thumb um, is the minimum you should be making per operatory in your practice is about $50,000 a month. So hmm. if you're looking at a Ford share practice, you should be hitting about $200,000 a month. Um, if you are looking at a six op practice, you should be doing more like $300,000 a year, uh, a month. Yeah. And so, and, and I'm sure if you if you look back at your clients, you'll see that that rule pretty much holds true. Um, it that is an optimized production. Now, is is everybody there? No, everybody's not there. But it takes work and it takes systems to get there. For sure. Just, just like we as dentists train to do a crown prep, or train to know what materials we should use, train to do a filling trained to do an implant surgery, bone graft, soft tissue surgeries, we should give equal credit or even perhaps, in my opinion, more insistence on training for business savvy and for money management and how to plan that money forward so that it works for you. And you, you actually, it's funny, before we got on here, I, I don't, I'm not even sure if we were live at that point, you asked me about the dojo and how it was doing. And yeah. um, so I, I kind of put you off on that. We, in the last two months, we were finally cash flowing, which is great. You know, having started in the pandemic and having to shut everything down, uh, it, was a, it was a lot of money sitting on the shelf. You know, I don't like warehousing money, right? I don't like that's having sure. something that sits on the shelf that's not doing anything. Uh, so we actually are finally cash flowing. Things are going really, really well with that. But it's one of the examples of what I did personally to ensure that my money was working for me. You know, and Eric, you, you, you have more knowledge about my business dealings than probably anyone else except for my wife. <laughs> you, you know how many, how many pots I've got my fingers in. So do you find that your most successful clients are more entrepreneurial like that? Or do you find that even people who are relatively not adventurous, let's say, whenever it comes to business, can they achieve great financial gains as well if they follow that simple formula? I think, I think they can, you know, I I've seen success in so many different, uh, so many different costumes, so to speak, that it, it, it is, it is interesting to me, like for, for you and you and a man are definitely entrepreneurial. I mean, you, you like to look at an opportunity and say, how can we, how can we make that business, you know, better? But it's always for the benefit of the household. You know, it's always for something that is, and it's always for something fairly purposeful. I mean, obviously she's, she loves that. She loves the, you know, the jujitsu and, and that, that's a, that's a, that's a passion for her. So it totally makes sense. You would love me to love it too. I'm not kidding you there, Eric. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell me why you're not like, you know, yeah. maybe why you don't participate as much, but you know, that makes sense to me too. But, uh, but it's something that I think you love. And then of course, what you're doing right now with the podcasts and, and all the other endeavors that you're doing, but you, I mean, but you have a genuine interest and joy for this kind of thing. Absolutely. And I think that that obviously helps. 
because you put a lot of care and attention in, in, into these things. And, uh, and, and that's great. And it works for you. It really does work for you. And then I've seen some people that are just like, you know what, I am just focused on my dental practice and I want to grow this thing as big as possible. And at the same time, I'm going to make sure that I systematize the profits out and I'm going to acquire some other assets and, and other types of investment vehicles. Maybe it's not other businesses. Maybe it's like, you know, traditional wealth management. Maybe it's real estate. Maybe it's insurance products, whatever it is. Okay. But that's worked for them as well. Right. So uh, it, it, it is, it is kind of one of those things that it, you have a strategy though. See, this is where I think a lot of people are falling down is that they don't have a strategy, right? They have a lot of tactics, but they don't have a strategy. And that's a, that's a big missing piece because if you don't have a strategy, it allows your attention to get taken away and or outside influences can kind of like knock you off of what you're trying to accomplish because you don't have a strategy in place. You know, I get that all the time, people. I mean, they always ask me, so, you know, should I invest in the stock market or should I just do real estate or, you know, what about this other thing? And I'm like that you don't have, I'm not going to give you advice on that. You don't have a strategy in place first right. because all those things, I don't think there's a, there's not an investment out there aside for someone trying to intentionally defraud you that I think as long as you treat it and understand how it works and you are applying it correctly to your household and, and how it should work, that you can't have a positive outcome but they all have very different characteristics. They all provide very different things. And you just have to understand where does it fit in my overall strategy? And I think that's, that's something that people should put more attention on. I absolutely agree, which is exactly why I tell them they need to write their ideal scene because that's where your strategy comes from. You know, it's yeah. your playbook, your action items are reverse engineering the, where do I want to be with the, where am I now? Uh, and, and you yeah. can't do that unless you actually detail it. Besides the fact, when you detail it and you tape it under your desk, you tape it to your bathroom mirror, and you put it out as a Facebook post for your 5,000 closest friends, it gives you a level <laughs> of commitment to that goal that is a very public commitment, which helps you to self-assess and self-police and make sure that you follow through on your stated goal. Who wants to be a liar in front of their 5,000 closest friends? Who wants to be a failure in front of their 5,000 closest friends? By putting it out there and saying, I'm gonna do this, you hold yourself accountable. That's, that's really a good point. I didn't think about that. that. It really does put it out there and it makes you commit and then decide and, you know, I'm, we're big into like looking at the derivation of words. You know, when you, when you actually make a decision you look at the derivation of the word decided, it means to cut off, right? So you decide I'm gonna do this. And unfortunately, you're gonna to have to cut off people, ideas, beliefs that you may have had that are going to somehow get be a barrier to whatever it is that you committed to. So I, that's a, that is a great idea. You put it out there like, man, I put my, my neck out there. I actually have to follow through on this. That's actually a pretty good idea. Thanks, man. So, there you go. So let's talk about uh, what it is you guys do and yeah. what it is that you specialize in. Because one of the reasons why I got involved with you is because I was using this consulting company. I learned a lot that I know about business management in general from them. And they recommended you guys highly. So came on board, met you guys. And uh, I think the first weekend I was there, I think Amanda went first. If, if, correct me if I'm wrong here. And I was resistant. I was still struggling with my business and trying to learn how to run the damn thing without it running me. And um, I think she went there for four or five years before I ever went. And the first time I went, we were in a, um, in a symposium with uh, Christopher Music over in, um, over in yep. Florida. And... Um, I ended up taking home this binder. I think it was what, six inches thick of all the <laughs> shit I should have known that <laughs> I didn't know about managing my, my money. And he, he kind of smiled one day and he said, you know, these are the secrets of the rich. This, this is, this is the secret yeah. sauce. This is what they use to keep their money. You guys need to know this because if you don't know this, you're never going to be wealthy. 
you know, I, I really loved that. And, and just that book, man, I still crack it open sometimes and I go, oh, crap, I forgot about that. You know, it's it's it's, it's the education that you didn't get in in school. And, and, you know, we can go down a rabbit hole on that one, but it is really unfortunate to, to see the cookie cutter advice that's out there. And, uh, you know, just the, um, the, the, the omission of a real financial education that uh, is, not, is not being spread to, to practice and business owners. Well, I'm, so I'm going to name a couple things that I learned from you. And this is so that you guys know the way that Econologics works is, oh, and first of all, I, I should have said this at the beginning of, the, uh, of our conversation. Um, Eric, I don't have any financial interest in your company. I don't own any part of your company. And you did not pay to come on this podcast today. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Now, in full yeah. disclosure, I believe Econologics is one of the sponsors for the Business of Dentistry Business Conference that's coming up in February of this coming year. Um, yeah. I'm not the guy in charge of the sponsorships. I don't know how much you guys have given or whatever, but I do want to put that out there so that people do know that not only do I use you, but you guys are sponsors of, of the program and sponsors of, of the Facebook page. So what makes you guys different to me is that every single year, like I said, when you're making that sailing trip across the ocean, every now and then you got to mm -hmm. break out the charts, pull out the sextant. I know you guys yep. who sail are going to laugh at me because you don't use a sex anymore, but let's pretend you do. So you, you, you spy your North Star, which is your ideal scene, and you, you set the sex on Polaris. You look at your map and say, am I going in the right direction? Every year, you guys force us to do that. Even when right. I don't have a whole lot of time, you tell us you have to meet. Every year, you send out another bundle of pa paperwork with my new charts that tells me I need to steer a little bit this way to get where I'm trying to go. I find that that's highly unusual and I've, I've sought lots of different financial advice over the years. It's the first time I've mm -hmm. ever seen anyone do that. And I'm gonna say one other thing here and that is you update your own knowledge because earlier, whenever I was talking about bringing you on, I said, hey, you could talk to them about the, uh, the conservation easements. You can talk to them about that trust mm -hmm. thing for whenever you sell your, pr your practice so you don't have to pay taxes. And you said, well, hold on. We're not doing a couple of those things anymore because they're getting more attention from the IRS and we want yeah. to make sure that no one ever gets audited if possible. And if they do get audited, that we've got a rock solid foundation. So now that those things are drawing some more attention, we're changing some of our strategies. We're changing some yeah. of our alliances in the financial world to still give people the best products. Hey guys, now a quick word about our sponsor. I'm really excited to announce that we've partnered with United Medical Credit to offer an exclusive deal just to TBOD members. Now, United Medical Credit is a patient financing provider with unique waterfall lending process. It allows them to approve a much wider range of applicants. In fact, the widest range of applicants in the entire field. I've been using United Medical Credit in my practice for a couple of years now, and I'm seeing great results. They really speak for themselves. I see at least 30% increase in the number of patients who are actually approved whenever going through UMC. And the best part is patients are accepting treatment. More acceptance, more patients means more revenue. Right now they're offering TVOD members a special discount of 0% merchant fees until the end of the year. That's right, until the end of 2021, you get 0% merchant fees charged and they're going to give you a 30% discount for life after that. Now, if you want to claim this offer for your practice, go to www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD, or as always, you can go to Dockoff Investments, click on the deal section, look up UMC, and register. Thanks a lot, guys, and UMC, thanks for sponsoring. So, Let's talk about some of those hidden things, those hidden secrets that may or may not apply to your situation, guys, because every single one is different. In fact, your situation from year to year will be different. So Eric, oh, I, I think it's, a little bit about I think it's probably even more frequent than that. I, you know, one of the most unsatisfying things that I, that I see in, in the financial industry right now with the way that the current system is set up you know, as far as advisors are concerned, you know, most people are meeting with their financial advisors maybe once or twice a year and just doing a portfolio review, 
you know, of their, of their IRAs or their 401ks or whatever that would be. And, you know, I just, I found that like completely unsatisfying because number one, uh, your, your money uh, doesn't sleep for six months. You know, it's constantly in motion. Things are always going on. And I never wanted to have that kind of relationship with, with our clients. Number two is that the most advisors are pay very little to zero attention on the business and understanding the, the practice and how to treat it like an investment and how to better utilize it for the benefit of the household and making sure that owner is, is operating on the right financial targets. Because quite frankly, most people are simply underestimating how much they need in income assets and resources to really live uh, a life of being stress-free of money. So we put a really big emphasis on frequent calls, um, making sure that we go over programs as part of our plan. Um, and to your point, I don't know how you can measure if you don't have statistics. So, and again, in our industry, what are the, the, the prevalent financial statistics are just, hey, how did my stocks do or my bonds do? Or what's my overall it's, net worth? It's like, it's like a game of pin the tail on the donkey. People with blindfolds on, randomly stabbing around, trying to hit a target. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. So, you know, we have like 17 different financial metrics that we look at, you know, from your effective tax rate to your asset protection ratio to your estate plan. You know, all these things. And, and I know why advisors don't go over that with people because they don't get paid on those things. Right. So, but, but that's just the way their model is set up. And, and I'm just like, okay, so just set up a different model where you can actually get paid for helping people with these things. And that's, you know, that's probably another discussion, but that that's just part of, of, you know, how we work. You know, we, we, we definitely do a lot with the practice and making sure that the practice is, is benefiting the household, that systems are set up so that profit is channeling to the household so that you are building other income sources so that you are getting out of debt personally so that you are protecting your assets and all these other things that we measure and then um yeah i mean if there's <clears throat> you know i i don't necessarily like to pay taxes i don't think most dentists do uh and you know so we need to find i don't other know anybody who's not a dentist who does either i, I mean you, I know. you have to hate yourself a whole lot for that and there's, there's a lot of advanced tax strategies out there that, quite frankly, most accountants are just scared to death to even approach. And yet, um, I look at it and it says, well, it's still in the tax code. So right. as long as it's done correctly and structured properly, well, then let, you know, why can't you do the, it? Let's address the 800-pound gorilla in the room. There's a reason it's still yeah. in the tax code, and that is because senators go to Washington to become rich. They don't go into Washington to make your life better. They go For in and sure. they make rules that apply to themselves to let them keep their money. And there are obscure rules that are tugged in on the backside of a pork bill. You will never know the tax code as well as someone who makes it their life work to study. And you'll never know what you can and can't do until you seek advice. And the funny thing is they make all these things that you had mentioned, some of these advanced tax strategies, they, they will put news reports out and all these things to scare the living daylight out of people and yeah, and accountants, mm. right? And accountants see, oh, the IRS is coming down hard on these things and they're going to, you know, and then six months later, 12 months later, not a peep. You know, you, you, you hear like, oh, you know what? They, they said they were going after it. And my, I guess my, my conspiratorial mind is if you really looked at what most of these senators, senators and congressmen are doing, they're, they're doing these advanced tax strategies, Absolutely. you know, because they know what they are. So they have a lot of special interest in making sure that the laws stand up so they can continue to utilize these things. Absolutely. And at this opinion. point, the IRS is so understaffed that they're so far behind in their auditing that eventually it's going to get to the point where they simply can't audit anymore just because of the, you know, the time that's gone by. Uh, yeah. Unless you, unless you have cre have committed some egregious acts, you're probably not going to be targeted. You know? Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with tax, you know, tax evasion. Don't do that. You know, don't, 
that's that's tax illegal. Mitigation. Let's mitigate. Tax, yeah, tax avoidance. That's <laughs> completely legal. I mean, I never read anywhere where it said my it was my constitutional responsibility to max fund the IRS. It's not. Absolutely. So it it's one of those things where you have to be proactive. But if you just sit back and think that your accountants are going to minimize your tax liability, it's not going to happen. You, you have to go seek out tax strategists that are reputable, that know whatever their area of the tax code really is, and then you know can provide some defense for you if there is an audit. Don't be afraid of an audit. Just don't lose. Right. I, um, we, I think in our first, maybe our second or third year of practice with Amanda's practice, we got an audit and basically, uh, our CPA at the time uh, was Mr. Uh, Charles Stagg. Uh, I think he worked with him for a little while before we changed over. And um, his whole job was to take them into his office and host them and go over all the records in great detail. And as he told us, bore the pants off of them so they got <laughs> disinterested. And, 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 and that's all it was. It was no stress. But before that, because I wasn't on the other side of that door of wealth, I was scared to death. And I think, I think that's one of the most tragic things is that we allow ourselves to be convinced again, because making money is evil, right? Mm -hmm. We allow ourselves to be convinced that we must be breaking some rule. That's why you've got great advisors. That's why you've got great lawyers. Guys, these things would not be in the tax code if they weren't meant to be used. They're just not meant to be used by your puny ass. They're meant to be used by congressmen <laughs> and senators. So stop, stop being a tool. Go learn exactly what the rules are. Find someone who can guide you through it and keep more of your own damn money. Unless, of course, you're one of those people who checks that box that says, I want to donate more of my income to the, for the, to the U.S. government. Guys, there's a box for that. If you are a liberal and you believe in this socialist utopia, you go ahead and give away all your money. But stop giving away mine. Preach it, brother. Hey, the price that you pay so that your accountant can sleep well at night is about twenty to forty thousand dollars more than what you should be paying. Think about that. That's the price that you pay because you want your because your accountant, you know, is happy that you're not doing some of these things that they think are kind of on the gray, you know, in the gray zone, so to speak. So. <clears throat> So it takes a little bit of courage. It really does. It, it does take some courage. Talk to us about a couple of these things. And some of these are so well founded and people just don't know about them. For instance, the Augusta rule, you know, yeah. I want you to explain that one. Um, talk to me a little bit about maybe some of the new tax mitigation strategies that are, that are coming to light now. And I also want you to specifically hit on the conservation easement, even though we don't recommend that anymore. And I want you yeah. to get on the, the trust as well, because I want people to understand just how involved these things are and maybe QSBS, because that's one I'm, I'm taking huge advantage of in the last few years here. Uh, you know, qualified small business uh, stock. I, I love that $10 million uh, window of tax free, tax free. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the C, uh, setting only, up as a C, uh, as a C Corp. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, boy. All right. First off, uh, I'm not an accountant. Another thing I am telling you right now is should be construed as uh, as tax advice, so to speak. Uh, let's see. Where should we Where should we start? Well, look. There, you know, there are a lot of strategies out there uh, that I think people will lump in and, and say, "Well, the IRS is scrutinizing those." And if you, I'll take one for example. Like, there's uh, something called an 831B. This is essentially where people. Um, that that own businesses can create you know kind of their own reinsurance or captive insurance companies uh, that would actually self-insure certain risks that you actually do have that maybe you're not paying insurance for right now like supply chain risk or risk of uh, uh, your brand being uh, you know the reputation of your brand I mean these are all things that are quote unquote insurable that you can that you can self-insure for some to some degree. Um, and, you know, people say, well, the IRS said that they're going after people that are doing that. No, 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 no. That's not what they say. They, if you read very care carefully in most of their, because they'll have like a dirty dozen list that they come out with every single year and all these different transactions, they, they say that they're going after those that are abusive, abusive, okay, which if, if they're, if there are abusive, uses of it. That means that there are also people that are doing it 
non-abusively, right. okay? So <clears throat> this is where you just have to really read between the lines here and say, am I, am I picking a good promoter or strategist that really knows what they're doing? Uh, do they have um, a, a tax uh, attorney that can write an opinion letter on my strategy? Uh, and do they have a defense of the strategy? And you know what are the what are the nuances that I don't know as a dentist that I need to make sure that I look out for? And of course, you consult with your accountant. But if you take a logical look at it and you take the emotion or the the scare tactics that are being used out there, then you can take an honest to good look at it and say, okay, I can use this. It's in the tax code. I just have to make sure that I'm doing it within these parameters. And I don't worry about what else, what I hear on CNBC or in the investment news or whatever would be like that. That'd be one that I see that, that people are coming down. Same with the conservation easements. The law has not changed on those, okay? It hasn't changed at all. Well, so Eric, you're gonna have there, to explain what it is. Most of these guys don't even know about the Augusta rule. Okay, let's start. The Augusta rule is probably the simplest one. I think in the tax code that you are, uh, it started in uh, Augusta, well, it was based upon, you know, people that own homes on the Augusta uh, golf course, where they can rent their homes out for 14 days out of the year, and they don't have to pay any tax on that money, because uh, in the tax code, it says that you can rent your home out for 14 days out of the year without having to pay any tax on that. Okay, great. So most people are like, well, that's great, Eric, but I don't own a home on a golf course. Right. And especially on one that where there's a, you know, a PGA champion, chip level course but <clears throat> that's not what the law says and say that you have to own a home on a golf course it means that you have you can rent your home for 14 days out of the year so you have a business okay and let's say that you have executive meetings or employee meetings or whatever it would be it has to be a real honest to genuine meeting okay but instead of going to a hotel or going to a restaurant where you know, it's going to cost you 1500 to 2000 bucks to do something like that. You know, why not have it at your home and, and structure it the same way? And, you know, you got to make sure you get documentation. So you'll need to call a, a restaurant or a hotel and just get an estimate. Hey, if I wanted food and drinks and all that for, um, you know, so many employees for four or five hours, what would that cost me? So there's your documentation right there. And then there's some other things that you have to do to make sure it's structured correctly. I'll let the accountants, you know, show you how to figure that out. But why not take advantage of that? Let's say it's a thousand dollars for 14 days. That's fourteen thousand bucks that you can use as, as yeah, I mean, it's it's not huge, but it's and not insignificant that's not either. Above the line, that's not below the line. Hugely powerful statements that if you're looking at your finance, you should pay attention to. This is yeah. not on the page. This is you don't have to pay taxes for it. That's a beautiful <laughs> thing, guys. It's so, so that's just one. That's one thing. And yeah, but again, it's like these are just things that uh, the first thing accountants say. Well, you can't do that. And you're just like, well, well show me why. You know, you got to be like, you really got to hold your accountants accountable for statements that they make. And and if they it really start tax tax minimization starts with one word, willingness. Uh, are you, uh, the people that I'm using, are they willing to look at the tax code? Are they willing to ask questions? Are they willing to try to minimize my taxes? If they're just gonna follow, you know, what their CPA associations say, then, you know, you're, you're gonna end up paying more in taxes because of that. So what, do you, what do you think about section 179? It, it's the thing that every single, dental CPA out there and every sales rep tells you to take advantage of, I believe it's what, 2.6 million for property purchase and $1,050,000 for equipment purchase this year. It's a deduction. So it's, it's not above the line. It's a deduction. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's a great deduction if you're going to spend that money anyway on a piece of equipment, but rule number two on how to build wealth is keep your money and then make it work for you. So how do you feel about that one? Because I'm ambivalent on that one. I feel like it's kind of a 50-50. If you're going to spend the money, well, yeah, that's a perfect thing to take advantage of. But if you're not going to spend the money, no matter what they say, this rule is not going away. Because they've been saying they're going to take it away for, what, 10 years now? Yeah. It just keeps Yeah, I mean, up. look, 
the, the being able to, you know, a hundred percent depreciate, take the depreciation expense, you know, in that first year is, is awesome. Right. I, I think the, but here's what I usually hear at the end of the year, as far as tax planning is, is concerned. Tell me if you've ever heard this before. Uh, okay. You're going to have a huge tax bill. You can do one of two things. You can, you know, buy a bunch of equipment that you may or may not need or a bunch of stuff or throw all your money into a retirement plan and that's your tax strategy. And right. to me, that's just lazy tax planning. Well, that's reactionary getting, tax planning. And that, that's the problem that's right. is that most people are tax filers. They're not tax strategists. And that's what sets that's you correct. guys apart. Yes. So in that case, you know, I, I mean, we've used section 179. I think a lot of your, your dentists have probably used it, but you, it has to be done with a lot of other strategies as well. And if I'm going to buy something, I also want to make sure that it's going to provide, you know, more value to my practice for doing so. Another one would be like the, um, you know, most people have buildings and, you know, they're, they're, they haven't done like a cost segregation study on their building. Right. And, and so that's another one where you about can... that when I covered that a few weeks ago and a lot of people seemed really, really confused about it. And maybe it's because I did a poor job of explaining it. Talk to us a little bit about that. No, when you buy like a, a, a building, then uh, there's generally a straight line depreciation schedule for around 39 years where you take a, a depreciation expense and you probably see it somewhere in your tax returns. Okay. So most people not knowing that you can do, you know, you can accelerate the depreciation will just take the depreciation expense every year for 39 years or until whenever they sell the building. Okay, great. It, that's fine. But uh, a building is not just made up. Of, it's not just one big blob. You have floors, you have, you know, ceilings, windows, all these things that you can actually um, have different depreciation schedules to them. So what you would need to do is you need to bring an engineer or some kind of a firm in there that would evaluate the building and try to accelerate the depreciation schedule on certain aspects of the building. I mean, I'm saying it very, very high level, all right? So what is the benefit of that? You're, you're taking the same amount of depreciation that you would if you just spread it over 39 years, but you're getting it quicker. And there's the time value of money. I'd rather, especially if you have years in which you're, um, you have a lot of income, that I want, I want to use that, that tax break because of the time value of money. I don't want to spread it over a 39 year period. I want to get as much as fast as I can so that I can lower my tax, my, my overall tax bill by doing that. So it costs money to do it. You know, it's going to cost, you know, five, six, eight, ten thousand $10,000 to have someone come in there. It probably isn't um, as advantageous for buildings that you've owned for under 10 years. I think that's kind of the sweet spot, at least that I've heard. Again, you need to bring someone in that can actually do it. But it's an awesome tax benefit. And a lot there's so many buildings out there that practice owners are owning that have not taken advantage of that, that it just kind of blows my mind. And maybe it's just time. Maybe they don't know who to go to. Maybe they're not sure, you know, if how, what the, the benefit's going to be. It doesn't take much. I mean, it doesn't, it really doesn't. You can get an analysis of a projection of what it's going to save you in taxes. Here's what the, the cost of bringing the engineer or the group in to do the study. And, you know, if, do a cost benefit analysis, but it's, it is a, a great way to minimize your taxes. That's all of these guys that, uh, I know I'm kind of rambling, sorry. That's okay. Um, but you know, a lot of these, you know, this is a tax strategy for a lot of wealthy people that I know what they'll do is they'll, they have a lot of income coming in from one of their businesses. They'll go buy a piece of real estate, like a storage complex or a building or a, a apartment complex, and they'll do a cost segregation, take all that depreciation, uh, deduction and apply it to their income from their business. And that's their tax strategy, which is, Hey man, that's awesome. It works. So, you know, the, you, you ask what the wealthy do, that's what they do. Well, and the nice thing is, is then you're in a completely different tax consideration because you're receiving rental incomes from these buildings that you've purchased. Right. Correct. And so you're really creating a, a diversionary tactic where you take an income, you turn it into property that it's a production production facility for more money, yep. but is taxed differently than the income initially was going to be, and then writing off the income because of it. I mean, it's yeah, exactly. Crazy. You so, can almost get all the even the income from the rent if you did the cost segregation. It would almost be completely tax 
tax-free income because of the, the depreciation cost that you got would more than offset that. And, and so I want to talk about a really big, egregious, but wonderful kind of a thing. We'll, we'll look at QSBS another day because that one's just fascinating to me. And honestly, yeah. I don't know what Congress is going to decide. Um, I, I, think, I think Elon Musk has made a big enough deal about it that um, it's going to come a moment of truth where they either go, okay, we're, we were wrong, or they're going to try to teach him a lesson. And, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, when, when you, when you screw at the world's richest man's money, um, interesting things happen. I think I just saw that he's going to pay more tax than anybody has ever paid in the history of uh, this year. Cause I think he sold some shares of stock. He's yeah, pay but like he also converted those and accelerated uh, some of his dividend earnings. Yeah. And so he's actually doubling down on the number of shares he owns while selling the other shares, paying the taxes on it. It's, the man's brilliant. So he is really brilliant. So here is, here's one I want to cover uh, because I thought it was fascinating. And it, to me, tells me just how much I didn't know about the income tax system and capital gains specifically. Um, yeah. And you, you know where I'm going with this one. I want to talk about the taking your business, selling your business, putting the profits into a trust, insuring the money, using the insurance to pay for the taxes that you don't have to pay initially because you didn't technically earn the money because you took out a loan. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the cap. Well, there's a couple things out there. Okay. I'll try to explain. Uh, there, there, there are some strat. Look, capital gains. Again, this is something that you'll hear from accountants. There's nothing you can do about your capital gains. You're going to have to pay the capital gains. And that's utter and again, <laughs> I'm like, all right. Now, the risk that you would have to take to do some of these advanced strategies, some people don't like it because of the way the structure is set up. Because again, if you look at the super, I hate calling them super wealthy because they're, it's not like, I don't want to generalize them, but some of the strategies that they use you know, they, they don't mind giving up perceived control over an asset uh, uh, or ownership of an asset as long as they can continue to control it and draw income from it. Right. So they have no problems putting their, you know, selling an asset to like a trust that that is irrevocable, so to speak. When I say irrevocable, it means that you technically don't own it. It is owned by the trust. All right but you have some control over it where you can still draw income from it. And so that freaks some people out because they're like, oh my God, you tell me I have to sell an, a, an asset to a trust that I don't technically own anymore. I'm like, yep, that's the price that you gotta pay if you don't want to pay the capital gains tax, okay? That would be one thing that you can do. You know, another thing that you could do is, um, you could, this is super, super complex. I'll try to see if I can explain it really simply. <laughs> is, is this one uh, I was hinting about earlier? I think this is one where you you actually, let's say that you own a, a dental practice that's worth, you know, 5 million bucks and you don't want to pay the million dollars of capital gains tax. So what you could do is that you could, you sell, you actually, you sell the business to whoever the buyer is, but you do it through what's called a dealer. Okay. And the dealer, in exchange for you selling the business to them, they give you an installment note. Uh, this, is, I'm, I'm, this is super high level. I hope I don't get too technical in this. Uh, the the, the long-term benefit is this. I don't owe the, the capital gains tax for 30 years. I don't, I, I'm able to keep about 93 or 95% of the sale proceeds. I get it via a loan from a private lender. Now, all these things have well, to be and done. And loans are not taxable, people. And loans are not taxable. But again, you tell someone this, they're like, oh my God. Are you, uh, so I'm, I'm technically getting my sale proceeds as a loan. Do I have to pay interest on that? Yeah, you do. Of course, it's a loan, yeah, but, but that's it's offset. It's mitigated. But it's offset by the, the interest that's earned on that pot of money that, that is in an escrow account. Okay, I don't understand how that works. And I'm like, I know. I go, there's six steps here and it's complex, but do you want to have, do you, would you rather keep 93 or 95% of your sale proceeds as opposed to 75%? Yes. Okay. You're going to owe the tax in 30 years, but now I just gave you 30 years of having more money to invest over that time frame. 
And when you look at the numbers, it's Step not three. even close. Step three. It's not even close. You would have, as long as you weren't a dum-dum and put your money in, in, you know, really bad places and you were somewhat intelligent about how you did this, then you would have exponential moment. But it's a huge, it's a risk. And again, you have to do it correctly because the IRS said, there are abusive, there, there's a, abuses of this. And you're like, okay, well, if there's abuses of this, there's also a right way to do it. And there is. And, but this is where the attorneys and uh, CPAs and everybody usually blocks the, the use of these things. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's funny to me. It's frustrating because we've, you know, we've done, I, I've had advised clients, you know, uh, 50 times to do this. And I probably had maybe 10 that actually did it. And so it's very, a very, very low ratio. <laughs> yeah. And they're happy, you know, they're happy because they've had more money to be able to invest. And, you know, there hasn't been any issues with it and not, not saying that the IRS won't look at it, but as long as it was structured correctly and you, and you work with competent people, then, you know, and there's, it should work if, out. if I'm not mistaken, the rest of this schema involves, uh, you're taking out a life insurance policy on them and, and it's going to become payable in 30 years and that life insurance policy is going to pay for the taxes that you were going to owe. It could. And in addition to that, one of the considerations for me that I always thought this was just such a beautiful idea, inflationary index is generally between 1.5 and 2.5% per year. Like I said earlier yep. in the last nine months, it's, uh, in that last six months, it's been 9%. But yep. that means to me, if it's 2% per year, let's just hit a middle number over 30 years, that is a 60% decrease in the buying value of the money that you could have today. So that's like you got your price plus 60% and didn't have to pay taxes. Uh, you it know, it blows my it, mind it, because you do, you do all the math on it and it's <laughs> like, it makes, it, it makes complete sense and it, people love it initially, but when you get into working with the attorneys and the CPAs and the accountants and, and almost none of them, they, they'll, they'll just, they poo poo it. And then they put enough doubt in that person's mind. And then most of them just don't follow through on They go, no, I'll just pay the tax and I'll, and I'll be happy. I, I don't want the stress of the, uh, of, of the IRS on me. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Well, Eric, I think that we've done a pretty good job here of showing people that the tax code is about as intricate as a as a, a 1850s woven lace blanket. It's, it's complex, man. There's so much in it and you need a good navigator. Remember earlier, I, I talked about getting in that sailboat and sailing across the Atlantic Ocean and making sure you meet your destination by continuing to check your navigational charts and ensuring that the place you were going is the place you intended to go. More so than that, it's always helpful to have a great navigator on board who really understands, you know, tide and wind and can get you yeah. where you want to go in a very, very reproducible, very dependable way. And Eric, you're that guy for me and you have been for years. I've been very successful using you guys and I just want to share you with other people. So how can they get in touch with you if they'd like to find out more? Simple. Uh, you can go to econologics.com uh, and you that'll direct you to our website and it will give you plenty of resources that we have on there. There is a, a, a online assessment that we we provide that gives you it's 100 questions that we ask everyone. I don't ask for any personal financial data. It's just yes, no or maybe. And it'll give you a graph and it'll show you where you stand, just like you said, uh, on your current financial scene in all these really critical areas. And, you know, we, we, we provide a strategy session for 45 minutes to an hour for free. And, you know, we do that just because I want to make sure that dentists know what direction that they're going and they know what it should look like if it were an optimum shape. And we, we ask, you know, it's a hundred questions. So it's a lot of questions. It only takes about 15 to 20 minutes to complete. Uh, if you don't want to go through that, we have plenty of resources, downloads, charts, graphs, you know, videos on there that they give you a flavor for what we do. But uh, I think that that'd be the place that they would go. I think we actually even have a financial success guide for dentists, um, you know, an actual booklet that they can download as well. So we, we have a lot of resources for you. And in case you didn't know, Eric, I'm sure you're aware of this. Investor.com rates Econologics 4.5 stars. Okay, great. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, so, you guys, uh, I think the information is a little bit old. It says you managed two point, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 23.5 million, but I think you guys are a little bit over that now. Yeah, that's that's definitely old. <laughs> that's so, definitely old. Well, folks, here you have it. If you look in the comments section, I will have the, um, I will have the website. And again, this is the guy right in the middle, Eric Miller. Eric, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing some of your knowledge with us. And uh, as always, I'd, I'd love to have you back on again. My pleasure. And I uh, can't wait to see, I think, in Houston. Is that where we're going to be? Oh, uh, absolutely. Guys, if you'd like yeah. to hear uh, Eric speak, if you'd like to know a little bit more about this and maybe even bend his ear a little bit, I, you know, I, Eric, I don't know if you drink, yeah. but if they, if, they buy you, if they buy you a free drink, even if it's water, will you, will you give them some of your secrets? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm trying to figure out my, my, my drink of choice right now, but you know, just, uh, we'll be in Houston. So. Well, maybe, maybe they can try more on you. You can, you can, you can do some taste testing, see what you like. There you go. I like that. All right, folks. Thank you for spending another hour of your time listening to sound of my voice droning on and on again. This is the dear doc podcast with Dr. Christopher Huffpower, your host today. We've had Eric Miller of Econologics on if you want to improve your financial position, reach out to them, get their advice, do what you know you should be doing. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hey, folks, before I let you go, I just wanted to make sure I thank United Medical Credit for sponsoring this cat podcast and also the business of dentistry. Go check out their website at www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD to get a special deal. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.